Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Safety Talk. My name is Pete Canavan, and I am joined by my colleague, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley. Hey, Neil, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, It's Monday, but again, I can't wait. We got through that day and uh, an exciting week leading up to April. I mean, time flies. Spring this week on um, Wednesday starts spring. It doesn't feel like it yet, but I can't wait till spring. No, we got teased on Friday. It was gorgeous. And then, boom, right back to the cold weather. So <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. Go but, figure. Uh, it'll be here before it'll be here before uh, before long. So uh, what we're going to start out first with is I like to try and start out with some of the safety news from this past week. And un- unfortunately, um, we've had multiple tragic events that have happened this week. I mean, obviously, the first and most disturbing were probably the shootings at the two mosques in uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, very, very sad, and our, our thoughts and prayers go out to all of those people and their families. And, you know, unfortunately, it's it's the cowardice and the desire to demonstrate to the world at large that nowhere is safe, and that was on full display there. Without thinking about situations such as this before they occur, there is really no way for us to be prepared. So, you know, perhaps it would have made a difference, and, you know, maybe it wouldn't. But the bottom line is we all need to be ever vigilant no matter where we are. And again, it is illustrated once again. And so as if that wasn't enough, we've had this crazy problem now with the airplanes. Uh, the second round of disturbing news comes to us from you know, the, uh, the failures with Boeing's uh, 737 MAX aircraft. And you know, the computer controls are what they're saying has caused the problem with these planes. And you know, technology is designed to protect people ultimately. Uh, but unfortunately, that technology has failed and has led to the death of hundreds of people now, not just once, but now twice. So we like to think of ourselves as better off with advances in technology. But unfortunately, you know, that's not always the case. I mean, Pete, when you talk about if we could have stopped that tragedy, it's all about specifically, do they have a great security plan in place in mosques or churches or any place of worship or schools? You need to have the right surveillance top to bottom. Security team, uh, video surveillance, uh, um, specifically who's involved in the security team, uh, security guards. All that stuff now is going to have to be there because that's where these active shooter or ha- shootings are happening is places where there's not any protection or surveillance. Right. And people are, you know, they're sitting ducks. They're gathered together to to pray and they're not paying attention because they're focused on, on the services that are going on. And, you know, we had a, a great guest on a few weeks ago, Bob Armando, who uh, works for a company called the K Street Group. And he had uh, he has experience with this. This is part of what he does with his company is his guys and he protect uh, synagogues and specifically uh, nearby where his offices are in, in North Jersey. And so uh, this is, as you said, yeah, Neil, I mean, this is something where, you know, a lot of places are going to have to really take a much more detailed look and a much more serious look at the security measures in place that are there, both from a physical standpoint to be able to protect the people there. Uh, and then also some of the preventative measures with access to the facilities and the surveillance of those facilities because these all add up to uh, what needs to be a comprehensive you know, security and safety plan for 
you know, a lot of different areas. And so it, it's scary. It's scary stuff. You know, things like a plane crash, nothing you can do. Nothing, um, but except you can improve the technology. <laughs> and and I know Boeing is scrambling to do that right now. So, uh, and, and they'll get it right. You know, unfortunately, um, this sort of tragedy happened a couple of times and a lot of people have, have died as a result. And it doesn't end there. I mean, look at what else has happened this week. You know, we, we've talked in the past about some of the problems from Mother Nature. And we've had another round of very severe weather that has killed people in disastrous flooding out in Nebraska and other parts of the Midwest. I mean, the last the, the worst flooding in 50 years is going on there right now. And that's a another really, really you know scary thing that most people don't think about. They're like, ah, you're going to get some rain. There's going to be some flooding. Well, <laughs> the flooding that's going out there has been absolutely inundating towns. It's wreaking havoc on the infrastructure out there. And, you know, Mother Nature, she can't be stopped when she wants to, you know, wreak some havoc. She's going to do that. So people have to heed those warnings and have a plan for evacuating the area when things turn bad or before they do. Absolutely. And uh, that I'm glad we were able to keep up with these things, but it's terrible what's happening. And again, if we can stop it from happening, we need to. Increasing technology, having the right safety measures in place to test those things so that things like Boeing. But again, the only thing I think we can't blame is Mother Nature, unless we are thinking it's uh, global warming, but we're not going to have that conversation on this show. But again, it's again more of a process of research and development scientifically, looking at things and looking at patterns and figuring out what's the best fit. Yeah, because nature and and. Mother Nature's also uh, going crazy. Uh, there's a tropical cyclone that just hit uh, the people of Mozambique, Malawi, and Zimbabwe this past week. Killed people, destroyed homes. And, uh, you know, a lot of this information that I, I pull from uh, is on my Safety Talk podcast website. Uh, it's a news aggregator site as well as a, a website that lists these episodes of our Safety Talk podcast. Uh, there was something that came across today when I was uh, going through and reviewing the site. Uh, there was a gunman on a Dutch tram who killed three people. Oh, uh, yet another violent outburst by a lone individual. Yeah, and that happened today. 37-year-old Turkish man, they locked all the schools down in the area. Um, five other people were injured, and as I last checked, um, the guy was still on the loose. They were looking for him. So all of these things have one thing in common, and that leads me to introduce today's guest. And our guest today is a woman named Ebony Foz. And she owns and operates a public relations and digital marketing company in the Tampa, Florida area. But uh, And she's also written a book on marketing strategies and been a contributing writer for numerous publications, as well as spoken at events and been on different panels with regard to her expertise uh, in marketing, organizational techniques, and crisis communications. And so we're going to be focusing on that and in that area of her expertise in today's episode. Because the crisis communications aspect of safety is critically important, regardless of what it has to do with weather-related events, shooting events, cybersecurity events, etc. So, welcome to Safety Talk, Ebony, and thanks for being on the show with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate both of you for um, you know not only inviting me on, sharing your podcast with your audience, but also just keeping everybody aware because I think sometimes as you're going through your day, you don't have the time to keep up with all the things that are going on, not only in your neighborhood, but around the world. And so I'm so thankful that you're able to share that with your guests. Yes. And, you know, the audience needs to understand that it is difficult. 
And, and I think we all know that, that we're bombarded with information. We're bombarded with all kinds of things, whether it's the headlines or advertisements or, you know, good news, bad news, sports. I mean, there's so many things that command our attention. But one of the ways that we can stay on top of those safety you know, incidents that are going around the world is through the safetytalkpodcast.com site. And so it, it's been surprising to me because it's it's pulling headlines in from all over the world. And uh, I'm learning about things on a daily basis, multiple times a day. And it's it's scary because you know, maybe that's not a, that good of a thing. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, Ebony, um, let's start with one topic that uh, the White House actually commented on today. And that is what other news organizations are actually coming under fire for. And that's the media's role in giving <laughs> so much attention to perpetrators of mass violence. I started out talking about, yeah, you know, the, these yeah, mass definitely. shooters. And uh, mm -hmm. we end up learning everything about these criminals, their upbringing, the type of person they were, the student they were, the journals they kept, what they posted on social media and all of that. But, you know, we don't learn a whole lot about the victims or even the heroes sometimes that, that end these tragedies. So I'd love to get your take on that sort of, whole you know big <laughs> sort of concept there yeah so you know the thing about it is having been on the side of um, understanding what an editor wants and what a news organization wants they it, it is all about the story and what is a bigger story is the bigger story the hero or is it the villain and, you know, it's sad to say, but villainizing um, people, whether they did the act or not, is the bigger draw. You know, people are looking for drama. They're not really looking for um, the happy stories anymore. As much as people want to say that they want happy stories, that's not because the newsroom will, you can tell when you can't find out about what's going on with your local food drive or your local blood bank drive, but you can find out, you know, about the predators that are located within your area. You can find out about other incidents that's going on with uh, Twitter. I was reading um, the Wells Fargo CEO and how um, he was facing uh, some of the criticisms for his hearing um, conversation publicly. People want to hear the drama more than the good news. And I don't know what that says about us as individuals and humanity right now. You know, it sells. And I think that's the bottom line is, you know, bad news sells papers and magazines, and web subscriptions, then good news. And if it was the other way around, if people wouldn't buy those things and they instead would would pay more attention to and buy things that were good news and things that were about, like you said, you know, blood drives and, you know, things going on in the community and, you know, all the, the positives, they would have no choice but to have to switch what they were focusing on. And Neil, I mean, you, you interview people from all different walks of life and all different uh, right. areas. And I'm sure you see that constantly. I, I'm trying to stay away from that in a lot of ways. And, and I'm glad that Pete brings that news out there, but I try to bring to my nationally syndicated radio show slash podcast, bringing just information that's not out in the mainstream media, which again, 50% of radio now listen to is podcasting and it's not podcasting from the mainstream. It's really the podcasting revolution of great content, learning things like that and not filling ourselves with such horrible noise in certain areas. But the reason they do that is because they prey upon people that want to feel bad, that want to feel bad about themselves. They want an empathy so that they just continue to just, 
to just leech them, bring them in. So that's what I see. And Ebony, I don't think that will ever change because, again, controversy and uh, disagreements and arguments sells. It will never go away from that unless we continue to see this revolution of new content created for specific niches and less of the sensationalization, which we're seeing a lot of times. And that's why we're seeing the news, like TV news going down in ratings, right? And less and less people are watching television, local news and things like that, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that it, that's a good point. Um, but what was that one podcast where it was, um, there's, they started doing podcasts on some of these um, murder stories that were going on as well. So I'm like, are you kidding me? We can't. <laughs> no, you're never gonna. You're never gonna get rid of that. No, I'm telling you that. See, that's interesting, Ebony, and that probably does lead to when you talk about those crime scene investigation ones on like uh, uh, ID channel and stuff. I've watched it, Ebony, and oh my gosh, it really teaches you how to cr- commit crimes and murders and multiple murders yeah. and get away with it. So I, you're right that that's not a possibility. Podcast. That's more, but there are podcasts as well. But that's more of television, cable TV. Uh, still, but it's niche. People are into that. There are specific people that want to watch investigations that really have happened and serious crimes that have been committed. I don't think we could stop that as well. That's curiosity. But if we continue to allow other places dictate our media. That's what we're going to see. But when people choose to watch the ID channel or some investigation story or mystery, that's that's their forte. They want to watch that. Look at how many CSI shows there are. I think that would have one in just about every town, you know, CSI Miami, CSI this, CSI that. It's like it's unbelievable. And they wouldn't be doing it like unless there was interest, like you said, Neil. I mean, there's interest. So they just keep churning out the content that people want. And unfortunately, a lot of it is not positive. So I I just don't know where we go. But, you know, uh, a lot of communications professionals who focus on general, you know, there there are a lot of them that focus on that general crisis strategy and the creation of the policies around that. So let me ask you, Ebony, why why would that be an interest to you and and sort of the, the online side of it, the cybersecurity side of it? So for me, um, my undergrad degree is in industrial engineering, and I spent a lot of time um, focusing on human factors (laughs) and as humans, we we make mistakes, repetitive um, tasks, you know, certain things that we tend to do um, just out of pure human error. And just the, the number of pure human error incidents that occur is great. Everybody thinks that the uh, most of the breaches. I mean, yes, there are people sitting behind a computer, nefarious. But um, those nefarious people don't get access unless we have someone on the other end having a um, a social human engineering breakdown. I should say, <laughs> where they they are making that mistake, and so that in itself started me down that road of really wanting to focus on that. And then just think about everything that we're connected to is electronic. You know, we just, I mean, it's, you have to be off the grid (laughs) to not have any type of effects by being connected to the internet, always being on. 
so I find that that intrigued me more by the connectivity that we have, especially as we see artificial intelligence, machine learning continuing to grow. I think that um, we're not going to get away from it. And I think small businesses and organizations are really doing themselves a disservice by putting it off and putting safety off right. in general. Exactly. So, Ebony, what would you do in that situation when you talk about this is stuff we can't stop? We can't stop the sensationalization of news to lead to copycats and different things like that. We can't continue, you know, the, that leads to specific violence. And there's, a, I've had a psychologist on my show that talked about saying that still does not make people act. But what would you do to change this environment? How could we change this environment, if any? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I believe that, I mean, and I think you guys know it because you talk safety all the time, but it's about preparation and it's about taking a look at those uh, incidents where we leave ourselves vulnerable. You know, it's, it's a matter of leaving those, um, closing the doors on those issues to where, yes, we are not allowing things like credit cards information to sit out publicly, not behind locked doors. We're giving people complete access to your entire system and database within your company and not locking it down off the permission-based level. And I think that some of the things that you would consider from a safety physical body standpoint are the same things and principles you have to think about when it comes to the cybersecurity part. And that's the and that's huge. And I I'm just putting the finishing touches on a a seven week cybersecurity course, an online course that anybody will be able to take, where I will walk them through the seven steps of how to create a cybersecurity plan for their business and a program that will allow them to protect their company. You know, starting right at the beginning, going all the way through to having a plan created at the end because. It like you said, it, we're we're a wired society, and uh, I'm actually excited, real excited, because next month. I have a woman coming on who is a sociobiologist and futurist, and she's going to be talking about how we can use artificial intelligence to predict stuff. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's been written about in science fiction, and I got somebody who's going to be coming on the show next month that's going to be talking about that in a real sense, and that's going to be really interesting. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to tune in for that for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, well, yeah. We're up on iTunes now, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. The um, so, uh, what has been your experience, Ebony, in crisis uh, management and workplace managers, compliance policy creation, that sort of thing? Like, what have you um, seen happen in that arena? Yeah. Oh, I've seen the companies that are so proactive for it and i've seen the companies that uh, would rather invest in a cute break room over making it making sure that there's adequate security at the front desk Um, there was one company that i was working with and i went in to go visit them and their their receptionist she had walked away from the front door and mind you, there was a security door there that no one could enter into the rest of the building without it. But she was working on human resource paperwork, and she just left it sitting there on the front desk. And so I'm, it's I'm a like, violation. I, it's a violation. <laughs> exactly. I'm sitting here thinking, are you kidding me? And um, so she finally comes back, walks me back to the executive, and they're like, so where do you want to get started? I was like, well, let's start on the front desk. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and they didn't, think, and the executive didn't, still didn't think there was anything wrong with it until the HR director came in and talked, and they said, "Oh yeah, we should really maybe not have her do those tasks up front." 
But I found that um, some of the companies that think that they mapped out an action plan, it's so incomplete that they're not pulling in every sector. Like they're leaving out the maintenance crew. Are you kidding me? These people have 24-7 access. How are you not bringing in them into this conversation about your your data and your safety and making sure that whoever they bring in to clean windows from externally or to paint walls, put up um, drywall, whatever, is following certain security protocols. Right. So I, right. I, so you've I, got to have a way that you can know where these people are, know you know what they're mm-hmm. doing, where they're at at all times. And, and there are some technologies that I'm working with a company right now that enable you to do that where they have location monitoring. So if somebody leaves an area they're not supposed to right. be in, it'll trigger an alarm right to, you know, a security desk. And it's going to say, Hey, you know, this badge is not within the confines of these three areas. It's been, des- you know, designated to be okay. They're somewhere they're not supposed to be. And, you know, people think, Oh, you know, do we really need that? Uh, yeah, you do. Because the more sensitive, you know, the company, the more, detrimental it would be if stuff was stolen you know whether it's somebody who's looking to grab something uh and gain some sort of competitive advantage or to take your competitive advantage away from you by compromising your process or your data or learning you know maybe something proprietary that you have that they can now duplicate so i mean there are so many different threats to businesses today and the cybersecurity aspect of it is so vast that um, one of my goals is to be able to, with this course, is to take it down a notch and so that people who are non-technical will be able to completely understand it. And we had a guest on here uh, a few weeks ago who was fantastic, who wrote a book on this. And, uh, and that's exactly what his book does, is it helps executives understand the ways that uh, cybersecurity touches all these different aspects of a company and how it's so it's different from just the IT side of it because, you know, it has to be, they can't be one in the same. One's protecting what the company's doing, the other's creating stuff for the company and they can't be the same. That's that's a direct conflict. And so mm-hmm. there's lots of, lots, I mean, I could talk about cybersecurity all day, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. And you both uh, have some of that. You definitely have that experience level. Question I ask is, you know, when you're looking at, you know, specifically, um, protecting yourselves when it comes to cybersecurity, different things like that. Ebony, what do you, you talked about starting first of all, the, how they're protecting themselves in the company from just having information out there. But what about when you talk about online types of things, what are the things are you seeing when you're consulting that come up and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this. Well, um, so we're finding that some organizations even let's say 1099 employees, independent contractor employees, they're not locking down access to them. Some of them are remote uh, logging in to systems and they have ac- more access than what they need. Some of the other things that we're seeing is that, um, you know, APIs are great, <laughs> but if they're not fully looked at and reviewed and vetted, they can open the door on the back end to some different things. And I've had it where I was working with a company, they um, brought in a vendor who was working on one part of their marketing um, distribution of content. But that particular company also had a vendor that they were using the API for, and they had not done any updates in a very long time. 
And, and I find that. Us, and for those of our listeners that may not know what an API is, just let me interject that uh, it's an application programming interface that allows one company to connect to another company, basically in a simple sense. Uh, that's you. a simple definition. <laughs> Thanks for that. But yeah, you know, um, not keeping up with those updates, I, I find that that's a really big uh, issue. And then just in general, when we talk about just overall about safety, people are not running simulations. So what happens if we have to stop using this one particular software and have to go to a manual process, which has happened because a lot of companies oh, this server goes down, we need to keep working, let's just keep working, and we'll do something offline. And then when we find out is they're doing this offline, they're processing payments offline, they're doing um, other paperwork offline, and they're not using the proper security measures to go along with right. it. So for me, you know, my focus is a lot on, um, I, I, I go for a, what I call prepare, response, and restoration crisis uh, management program and a policy plan. So when we were going through this, we're walking through all the simulations, but it's not just about what that situation is, but the actual decision-making process that goes beyond it. Because sometimes people think if it's not this situation or not this situation, well, what do I do? And those seconds of what do I do? And then let's have 20 meetings to figure out what we do. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, the issue becomes even bigger. And it's, it becomes big beyond what we can control internally becomes an external issue and where they're calling me up and saying, now we need to deal with the media and our customers, et cetera. So when an incident happens, do uh, you have some tips that maybe you could share with our listeners that would help those businesses get through that crisis, whatever, whatever that crisis happens to be? Mm -hmm, sure. So like I said, I, I tend to focus on, I think, what from the three pillars. So if it was, if a crisis has already started and you have not done any preparation, the biggest thing is that you have to know what the issue is first and then move into resolution. Sometimes people think, well, I have time to figure out what the problem is or how it began, but you really don't. You have to move into resolution, whether it's a Band-Aid or a permanent fix, but you have to move into a resolution type of um response. And when you're doing that, you're constantly having to find out, like, what are the different ways am I going to put this messaging out? Am I messaging my people in the same manner that I talk to them normally? Because sometimes people think, oh, we had a breach. I'm only going to put this on our website. But you normally call people. You normally send emails. You normally send mail outs. Why, aren't you, why is it not part of the process? So you have to go back and take a look at Every single way you're communicating people with on a normal basis, you have to take a look at how long it's going to take you to prepare and see how you can move up that preparation for your external conversations and messaging that's going to go out. You know, we really focus on having our executives, whoever that executive is in the C-suite, come out from the forefront to not hide because a lot of times when the the crap hits the fan, <laughs> they right. want to run and hide. And that's not the time to do that. You, you can't lose face during that time. So you have to make sure that the executive of whatever level that is comfortable in speaking to whatever the situation is, even if it's, we are looking, you know, we're working around a clock, we're looking into this issue. You have to have start, have some kind of dialogue or also just look like you're hiding and have no intent of fixing an issue. 
And you know that I think and it, I've seen that happen, and it almost seems like the larger the company, the worse it can be, because you know you've got a lot of people that are looking for answers, they're looking for solutions, they're looking for reasons, they're looking for communication, and yeah. when they're not getting that from the company, whoever, like you said, it is that's responsible for communicating that. I mean, that's a huge part of the crisis communications. So I like to kind of get into that a little bit more. So where. Like, let's say there's some sort of, of incident, uh, whatever it could be, an online incident, offline incident. You know, maybe somebody breaks in after hours and steals a bunch of company files out of the filing cabinet. It doesn't have to be a digital, you know, crime. It could be just a traditional one. Uh, or it could be, you know, more of a, a cyber crime where they, they hack in and they download a bunch of uh, plans or information or whatnot. So what would you recommend that the course of action be in terms of preparing for the communications to get uh, a, a good sort of chain of communications open with, for example, the press, possibly shareholders, uh, employees, vendors, et cetera. Like what, what sort of the, the process there or what, would, what should a company sort of begin to, to do? Yeah. Now, I mean, completely and, and totally, when we talk about some of these issues that come up, some companies, it takes them a while to even learn about the issue. But, you know, immediately it always falls to what is the big, um, what is the incident? Like what happened? So if the incident was like a theft or something like that, what did you notify the authorities? Start here because a lot of companies are afraid, but it's by law you have to <laughs> have to communicate with them. Whether it's the service, whoever you have to share this information. And so when you start there, I tell people to do that because now we're beginning to get a record log, so people can't say I ignored it. Right? We're starting this record on record that we're starting this process of fixing the issue that's going on. Um, after that, one of the things that I say is to streamline that communication. When you have an incident, of course, you have to let your shareholders know if you're a publicly traded company. But before you can just go spilling out and having them run for the hills <laughs> selling their stocks, you have to know, okay, we have this breach. We don't know exactly how it happened, but we have 20 people working on it. They're working around the clock. We've brought in these other people. So you, you have to, you might not have your full message in play, but you have to have a response team ready, right? So everybody on board has to have their responses known. They need to know individually. Each department head needs to have a checklist and said, I have gone through, I've checked with my vendors, I've checked with this, I've checked with that. So that I know internally, like, this is where it didn't break down or this is where right. it broke down at. So you, you have to have some type of, even in the middle of the crisis and you haven't done any planning, you have the leadership itself has to do their due diligence and become the biggest private investigator that they could ever be for their lives when that crisis is. How much of breaches are based on social media use? <laughs> Now, I don't have that number off the top of my head. Like, I know about 200, like, retailers don't know that they've had a breach for about 200 days. But oh, wow. um, as, far as, as far as the social media ones, I don't have that percent off the top of my head. But I do know every time I get together with some of my InfoSec groups, it comes up because a lot of companies are now wanting to limit 
how their employees use social media at their job. Um, just because of, I hate to use the Facebook word, but we're going to use Facebook, um, and how Facebook and Google monitors people's traffic within a website. So a lot of companies that are especially working on um, primarily secretive uh, things, they are trying to get away from their employees with using those type of things because they're afraid that a file will automatically get attached. They're afraid that um, Google and Facebook will automatically start to build uh, different decisive manners around the movements that are going on on the website. So there is a concern within the InfoSec community about using social media at work and even outside of work because you have employees that go home, they sign on remote work, and, and then they're also doing their Facebook. And oops, now I've just sent off my company's budget for the year. Yeah. And, and you know, I think a lot of this also needs to be communicated to the employees from day one when they're hired. The education component of cybersecurity is I think grossly underrated. When in fact, you could probably stop about 70 or 80% of the problems if you simply educated the employees properly and told them what was sensitive, what they could do, what they couldn't do. And that involves their handling of company data, that involves their handling of company technology, that involves the the handling of their own personal technology with regard to corporate resources. For example, let's say they have their own personal cell phone, but they have the company's email coming into it as well as their office computer. Well, there have to be certain policies and procedures in place that can protect the company's data if, for example, that person's cell phone is lost or stolen. They need some way to remotely delete potentially sensitive information. And so this is stuff that has to be communicated to the employees in an educational sense right from day one. Make them sign off on these. Make them understand how important it is to protect these things because they are corporate assets, whether it's information Mm -hmm. or a physical you know, item, uh, because it could lead to major problems if they don't. And uh, and I think you'd agree with me, Ed, that there's a, there's a huge gap in the education, you know, portion yes. of this. Yes, I, I mean, I completely agree. Um, I was reading something the other day, though, that um, the, the Department of Justice um, was talking about, and InfoSec community was talking about how businesses are, were you know they were really being attacked or ransomware, you know, holding someone's computer hostage, holding information hostage, and so they said that the hackers have moved from beyond just doing the ransomware, but focusing on businesses and um, those passwords. They're focusing on businesses for yeah, the, them actually doing that, not uh, leaving their cell phones here or at the coffee shop or leaving their credit cards because. You, you, you leave your credit card at the coffee shop and you get it returned back to you and think everything is fine. Mm-hmm. But no, you've already taken a picture of the number and that number is now have been sold about 10 times. Right. So, and you're not going to know yeah. about it for until you get your next statement and then you go, whoa, <laughs> what happened here? Exactly. So they, they're saying that, you know, hackers aren't going for individuals as much as they used to, but that they are focusing a lot more on businesses 
and businesses that are not educated. And so that's why it's good that, you know, professionals like yourself and myself and our colleagues are going out and we're speaking to these businesses because they're not prepared, especially a business that has 50 or less employees. They don't understand that that they need to get these things in line. They need to educate their employees because the education part is what keeps the issues from going on going forward. I mean, now companies are putting little taglines that in any email that comes in that says this email came from an external location. It was did not right. come from a company. So it's those little things like that, those little steps that we continue to educate and continue to share information, hopefully within good communities <laughs> that we can start to combat some of these um, hacks. Yeah. And small businesses don't have the budgets of larger companies. And I think a lot of small business owners uh, don't believe that they have much to worry about because they think, oh, I'm a small company. I'm only doing, you know, a couple million dollars a year or whatever. And, you know, why mm-hmm. is somebody going to waste, you know, their time and their energy and their effort trying to come after somebody like me when there are a lot of, you know, bigger fish out there? But, you know, what advice would you give those businesses that may not have the resources or even the knowledge to know where to begin to protect their data? Yeah. So I think that a lot of businesses, they need to tap into, I would start one with the local university, because a lot of the local universities are opening up uh, sessions and little mini classes and little workshops so that the local community can begin to understand what's going on within cybersecurity. I know here in Tampa, uh, our universities that are here are doing that and colleges, and I've read about other areas that are doing the same. I would also yeah, and it's great. I mean, the education system for uh, secondary or higher education system is really doing more things for uh, public um, than they used to before. Um, the other thing I would say is for organizations to actually contact their local police department, their local sheriff department, because you'll be surprised how many um, times they're running these workshops throughout the year talking about this. And I and it's it's amazing how. Um, some of the information, it's like you don't know what you don't know and you don't know where to go, but sometimes you have to just stop and ask someone, right. even if it is a security person. Um, because I found that there's a lot of people within the community are very willing to share information, you know, um, because the problem is we, all the bad news in the paper takes up yes, all the ink. Yes. And you get a hard time <laughs> finding this stuff like that. Like there's a little yes. you know, thing here saying so, there's a workshop, yeah. but you know, all of these headlines, you can't find it. <laughs> Ebony, what do you learn most from your job in consulting that you would never have thought about when you go in and try to investigate and take a look at what this, what the business is doing and what they're doing wrong? What surprises that you didn't expect from going in and checking out some of these businesses? Oh, God, I didn't think that people were so evil. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, it's true. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, I just didn't think that. Um, I saw a former employee bring down a 900-employee company through their payroll system. Wow. Yeah, they knew that. They that they knew that the payroll system hadn't been updated with ADP, and they left the company. And <laughs> within a week, they had had um, broken to the uh, the the system and understood how to obtain the social security numbers and uh, records of all these employees. 
And I don't think that the, com- the company knew about the breach two weeks later. They didn't tell the employees about the breach until four months later. Oh, no. So I'm not really sure who was even more evil, the employee or their company. Because for all that time, um, what they told the employees were, oh, we had a glitch in the system. We're going to be printing checks for a couple of months. And that was their way of locking everything down so that way no one could hack in. But they never told the employees for another four months. And so it wasn't until uh, a couple of the employees heard through the grapevine what happened that they turned around and they lodged um, a lawsuit against the company. I was just going to say, I know you're not an attorney, but I'm sure that's grounds for a lawsuit right there. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I don't think that I ever thought that uh, people would just be be that evil but i the the person you know they knew they weren't performing and they i i i wonder you know how much other things they were doing while they were on the job if that's what they did it's crazy you know ebony a lot of times when you're getting a paycheck People will just let it ride and say okay there's not good supervision my managers aren't really caring what i'm doing and I can get away yeah. with these things until you get caught. Just like in back, the, the, which back in the future was it that Marty McFly got caught and, you know, cause he's basically tried to take out uh, cybersecurity and was caught. So you never know like where he was trying to take win one over the boss. But at one point in time, someone like Ebony's going to find out on you. Right. So people listening right now, watch out. You think you can get away with stealing from your company or allowing people to come in in the back end you're going to get caught at one point, right, Ebony? Yeah. I mean, you are going to get caught. I mean, it does. I've seen it where it was like the company waited and they just, I mean, I just, I've seen some things. Like I said, I don't think I thought that people would be so evil. And I do think (laughs) that. Which is really sad. I mean, it's sad to have to even consider that or even (laughs) say that, but it's true. You think that, and I know, and it's, it's, um, you know, I tell like my my husband or our friends, I'm like turn off your Wi-Fi when you're in public and Bluetooth and all of that because people are just nefarious. And I don't think that until I really started to focus on the security aspect and even compliance from a, a, even a physical compliance security aspect. And then once I started getting into that, I thought, man, <laughs> you it's have wild. to turn off. You have to turn off the news just from what we read as professionals. So you you just mentioned like you talking to your husband and some friends about it. So let's you know take a, a look at it from from a, an individual from a consumer perspective that you know what would you recommend that a person should do if they feel, for example, that the organization they work for or maybe one that they've done business with has leaked their information, you know, or have been compromised and it's been leaked. What what should that person do? Yeah. So one of the things I I, I tell people first off is try to come up with good ways to um, get naming schemes for your passwords so you can kind of have an idea, right? So whenever I'm testing like a freeware software, I kind of have these couple passwords that I'm playing with and I'm not giving my credit card, but I, I kind of have an idea. So if I get one of those emails, like we know your password was this, 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 and we're going to, we know you were on the internet searching porn and we have recorded a video of you. I'm like, really? Yeah, <laughs> we crazy. really 
<laughs> because you know i'm so it's i i tell people first of all keep your passwords right. in order but after that don't be afraid to report it to the authorities um because that's the only way they're going to start to gather enough information to track down some of these people right start that so, paper trail like you said make a have a have a legal record of it and even to the point where if you see things online uh if you're maybe seeing something that you're not sure if it's going to stay there, print it out, take a screenshot and print it out and make a hard copy of it and start your own kind of little evidence folder. You know, yeah, it's only definitely. going to help you down the road. Definitely. Definitely. Cause I mean, report it. just, I mean, they, they have the odds of them tracking someone down. I mean, unless they're a, a, a kid just getting started. I mean, it's going to be very hard for them to track down the individual, but start it because if something happens with me something happens with you and we all report it you know authorities could do better so i I tell people the uh federal trade commission ftc is very good with keeping up with that and seems like these days they are on fire they are keeping up with even the small businesses so I, i as a consumer or as an individual i would definitely say report it report it to the authorities report it to government agencies but that's the only way we're going to make this net smaller for those people who are trying to just come up with evil things to do with others. Sure. And keep that evidence folder because, you know, if, if you're doing that, that's going to show the seriousness of it and, and that you're deadly serious about having the, the, uh, the situation, whatever it is, resolved. You know, if you if you go to the authorities and say, look, here's what's going on. Here's what I've seen. Here's what I've witnessed. Here's whatever. And you say, and, and here's all the supporting documentation and the evidence that I've gathered to date. They're going to be like, oh, okay, this person's serious. Like, this isn't just somebody saying, oh, you know, I, I have a, a complaint about something, which, you know, I understand that law enforcement a lot of times is overwhelmed. But yeah. if somebody comes to them right. with a full ream of evidence versus somebody that just lodges a complaint, I mean, who are they yeah. going to take more seriously? And, and the answer is, is, he is, you know, it's clear. And, and especially if you have evidence. And Ebony, I'm sure you talk about with the team when you teach them how to look out for these things. You're not going to always be the one that catches them. But when you teach that business to look out for these things and when they do catch them, how do you identify that? And then how do you reprimand or stop the problem that's happening? Yeah. I mean, you like the evidence part is so key, definitely key. Um, I've, I've sat through with attorneys and HR directors over the issues. And if the ball, it boiled down to what was the evidence trail? Like, you know, what, what was recorded? How did uh, you talk to the employee at first? You know, we, we mentioned earlier that initial hire, what education are you giving? And that in itself, I can, I can name one incident, you know, I can come to mind one incident where that was crucial in being able to prove that the company did everything that they could do in order to protect data because they were able to go back and show at the beginning of the employee's uh, onboarding process, they went through this training. Six months later, they went through another training. And, and that type of meticulous record keeping helped them when they were going to um, court. That's fantastic because now you've got them signing off on a policy or something that says they, they understood it, they read it they're and they're good with it. And then of course, on the flip side of that is when the employee is let go, 
there should be some yeah. sort of procedure that is also in place that says, look, you are leaving this company. You take no data with you. Anything that you have that may have the slightest you know, bit of, of information about anything regarding the company has to be destroyed or turned in, et cetera, et cetera. And you have them sign off on a document on the flip side of it. So, you know, when they're hired, you're educating them. And when they're let go or fired, you're educating them as to what the ramifications or the consequences are going to be if they decide to get, you know, tricky, you know, and feel like, hey, I wasn't terminated. I don't feel like I was terminated, you know, fairly. I'll get back at these guys. Well, if part of that process when they're getting let go is says, and by the way, don't even think about it because here's what we're going to do to you if you try. Now they're going to think twice and be like, oh, okay, maybe I really just should kind of, you know, put my head down and go start trying to find another job, put my resume out there and, and just let it go because it won't be worth it. Cause like you said, you're going to get caught. Everybody gets caught. Yeah. yeah. Everyone gets caught. And, um, you know, the, for, for me and when I'm going and doing this, some people that work in crisis communications go, goes, doesn't go as far as I do, but I tend to go this far because it helps the company with their future communications. It helps them with their future policy planning. And so when we can talk through what failed at this particular incident with this employee, whether they're disgruntled, whether they are purposely taking and selling proprietary information to another company, you know, these types of things help us with the communications that we have for internally and preparing for external possible conversations that we might have to have with shareholders, with, you know, the government, et cetera. Yeah, law enforcement, anybody and everybody involved, unfortunately. Well, that's that's uh, very, uh, very good information for people. And I think, you know, understanding the importance of having a good crisis communications plan as part of your company's overall sort of suite of things that they do is really important because if you don't think of it and it's just an afterthought, it can end up being a big problem for you when when there's a problem and there's an incident that occurs at your company. Oh, of course, of course, because um, you know those first that first twenty four to forty eight hours afterwards that is make it or break it. That is, I'm going to be bankrupt or not. Time frame. So you have to have a plan. You have to be prepared. Um, whether you're a big business or a small business. And I'm, I really do hope that, you know, some of the small businesses will seek out professionals like us and some capacity to help guide them through. Uh, because, you know, I, I know for the state of Florida, we have to have certain protocols in place and we have to prove that we are responsible businesses. And so, you know, that's important for businesses, small businesses to even understand, even if they feel like, oh, I've only made $50,000 a year. But if anything happened, the state wants to know that you did what you were supposed to do as a business owner. Right. So how, I mean, other than, you know, maybe hiring yourself, somebody like me or, or other, you know, professionals that, you know, could incur costs, uh, how, how would you uh, recommend a business stay up to date on various uh, issues related to their crisis communications and their security? Mm-hmm. So I like um, the ISC organization, um, which is an international organization, and it works with a group of people who are in all different aspects of information technology. You don't have to be in information technology to be a member of it. Uh, Additionally, depending on what area of uh, commerce you work in, what industry or market, 
you could join InfraGuard, which is a organization that works hand in hand with the Department of Justice, the FBI, um, Secret Service, etc. And it's a community that focuses on the infrastructure and making sure that America's infrastructure is healthy. And so if you're in certain um, markets, you can find your niche and path within that group as well. So InfraGuard is another group. But I would say again that even if you don't hire someone, definitely take a look at organizations, talk to a cybersecurity professional. A lot of them will give you just basic information. They may not give you their secret sauce and, you know. No, because then we'd be out of business. <laughs> they can give you a place to go to and, and definitely just stay in contact with the local education system within your area because I, I, I found that they host more events and um, the local sheriff hosts more events than most people realize. No, that's and that's great information because you know that you just have to be a little bit proactive and, and seek things out. And and you know, speaking of seeking people out, um, if somebody's interested in learning about you, Ebony, and your services, where can uh, our listeners go to learn more? Okay, so our website is abovepromotions.com. Additionally, I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. So Ebony Vaz, you can find me there as well. And um, yeah. But- so that would be a great way to connect with me either way through the website or through LinkedIn. Awesome. Do you have right, any uh, last thoughts for our listeners today? Um, you know, I don't think that people with people want to believe that people are good. And I think that we have to go into this. You can always check out reality every now and then, but it's not all the time thing. And I think that people need to understand that, um, life is going to happen whether it's on accident or someone doing something on purpose but you've got to make sure that you're prepared you know, from a safety aspect physically for us, um, securing your financial um, safety <laughs> um, so I, I think that you can't you you might get fatigued in doing things to protect yourself but you, you just have to keep going and have to keep be alert be proactive be proactive don't wait for something to happen so hey ebony thank you so much for being on the show and uh we really appreciate your time today thanks again and uh thanks to our (laughs) listeners for tuning in to safety talk and uh you can always as i mentioned earlier get more information and the latest news about safety and news about safety at safetytalkpodcast.com uh next week we're gonna have another incredible exciting show for you guys and uh we're going to be talking about the legal side of safety. We talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago. We had somebody on talked about it briefly. We're going to get into it in a lot more detail with an attorney next week. And uh, I also alluded to us talking about artificial intelligence in uh, a future show next month. So stay tuned and uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and any other of the um, various podcasts of choice. And stay tuned for information about how to stay safe and secure in the digital and physical world. I'm Pete Canavan and Neil Haley, and you guys have a great time. Again, Ebony, thank you much. Bye, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. 
You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.